Welcome to Speak the Truth, a podcast devoted to giving biblical truth for educating, equipping, and encouraging the individual and local church for counseling and discipleship. We're still live here at the 2019 Call to Council Conference, and we're joined live with our co-host, Shauna Van Dyke. Hello, hello. And our other co-host, Jeremy Lellick. Hello. How are you, sir? Great. Good. And our special guest, Eric Johnson. How are you? Very good. Nice to be here. Glad to have you. Well, we got a lot to talk about. You have a volume a of a book there. A very thick book. Yes. God in Soul Care. Um, I would dub it as the systematic theology of soul care. So um, I uh, got a new job uh, this year, which I'm really thrilled about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm now a professor of Christian psychology at Houston Baptist University. And there's a, a corollary position I'm the director of the Gideon Institute for Christian Psychology and Counseling. Wow. And this is like the dream of my life. I can't tell you how excited I am about this stage of my career. Cool. They keep you busy, I bet. I'm very, very busy. There's so much to do that I had no idea administrating, uh, you know, but it's, it's so good. Because the, the the goal is in sight. We're hoping to launch uh, two master's degree programs this August uh, at uh, at the school of master's in Christian psychology and a master's in Christian counseling. the The motto for our institute and all that we're doing is Christ centered, biblically rooted, clinically informed. So we're trying to to mm. have a degree that's th- theologically deep, but also clinically sophisticated. And and uh, there's not too many programs that are aiming at uh, bringing uh, these worlds together in a way that's consistent, we hope, with God's agenda. Well, this is definitely uh, for our listeners out there. If you haven't picked up already, this is not a podcast that you want to uh, listen to while you're doing the dishes or you're driving. So yeah, you might want to pause, come back and and uh, let's listen to this podcast when you can sit down and have a notebook handy to take some notes, because um, this is going to be some wisdom that you're really going to want to take uh, account of um, things you're going to want to refer back to and terminologies that you probably haven't heard before that he's going to take some time to define for us. So um, we're going to let Jeremy take the take the reins now. And what do we want to talk about today? Well, there's a lot I would love to talk about. I do want to tell you, Eric, I just finished reading your book. Um, I made my, made it all the way through. It took me a while. Bless you, brother. And uh, it was really inspiring um, as a, as a practitioner, as a counselor, just to see how you brilliantly brought a very rich and deep theology to the forefront, but you were able to also bring uh, psychological insight from uh, research into what you provided here. And um, so I thank you for that personally, because it's it's really been something that I've learned from and uh, will continue to learn from. Oh, well, thanks so much. You know, I, I love theology, uh, but most theologies are written at a pretty high level, having their own, you know, kind of agenda that's, you know, developed over centuries. And so I've always felt we need to get theology close to the, where the rubber meets the road in the counseling room. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's a, it was a, you know, it's a long-term goal. It took me, it took you a while to read. It took me a long time to write. <laughs> I'm telling you 17 years, you know, because wow. wow. I'm not a theologian. Mm-hmm. I had to do a lot of background reading and and all that but but it was very satisfying to do because we all know mm-hmm. God's word God's theology is healing for the soul yes yeah. uh, so what do you do after writing a book like that sleep yeah <laughs> take a vacation break, man, man. You know, there, and I'm uh, God help me I'm not writing a big book again just 
smaller. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll say that now. It's 2019, <laughs> well, everyone. Yeah, so we'll we'll, I'll, ch- I'll check back in with you no, a few years. My, my goal is to write a 150-page book. And okay. That'll so, be a miracle. Happens. Because you have, you have a book that preceded this one, Foundations <laughs> mm, of yeah. Soul Care, which is just as... I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think everything coming from Eric Johnson has been pretty voluminous. I, yes. I'm, I'm getting a reputation. So stop that. <laughs> <laughs> Next year. So... Um, Something I think we might just want to dig into this first is tell us the tensions that have existed within the Christian community with psychology and theology. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're, they're important tensions. We have our, uh, a psychology of the Christian faith. I think every worldview community that's well-developed is, has their own psychology. Buddhism does. Hinduism does. Christianity has been developing it for centuries based in scripture originally. And then a lot of great minds and hearts have been working that out, you know, over the centuries. But in the late 1800s, modern psychology was birthed out of the worldview of naturalism and they rejected supernatural uh, events and persons and, and tried to study human beings as if God didn't exist. And, um, it took off, you know, it, it, they, they, they had the genius to apply research, good research tools to the study of human beings. But the, you know, the downside of it was, it was completely secular mm-hmm. and ultimately in a fundamental way, antagonistic to the Christian faith. So, it took off. It took over, you know, our whole culture had a secular revolution in the late 1800s, the same time psychology was, uh, secular psychology was being birthed. So it, un- it understandably has caused Christians concern. Uh, it's an alternative way of making sense of the world mm. based on the naturalistic worldview and particularly secular psychotherapy as a way of healing oneself. And uh, we believe we know that God is the ultimate healer of the soul. So some Christians have, uh, because of that, they have seen psychology as entirely harmful mm. and have rejected it in uh, completely. I used to hold that view when I was a young Christian. I, was, I wanted to be radically you know, Jesus-centered and Bible-based. But as I read some of the literature and, and uh, went to school uh, to study, I, I began to realize there's there's stuff here that's actually seems valid. It seems like mm. they're describing the way God created us, at least to some degree. They've left out the most important aspects of human beings, but not everything that they're saying is completely off base. And, and so, Eric, would you say, in, in stating it that way, that they did a good job of making good observations, but their interpretation was obviously yes aloof because of their their humanism. And they're really their understanding of anthropology, their yeah. view of man. Yes. So much of what they write are, are you know, relatively valid observations of, of human nature as it is now in its fallen condition. But what's really critically wrong about it is what's left out. Right. So they leave out the creator, even though we're made in God's image and we can't understand human beings apart from God, they left, they left out redemption. I mean, that's, that's the most important thing for us and in, 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 in biblical counseling and in Christian counseling, because we need Jesus in order to get healing. We can't self-actualize in a way that glorifies God in a way mm-hmm. he designed us to. We're, we live in dependence upon God and his power through the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ and through relationship with our God. So so without these things, secular psychology is always going to be truncated and distorted. So the, the, those folks that have raised concerns are, are totally valid to have those concerns raised. 
on the other side, you know, there's a lot of Christians that entered into graduate school and studied, you know, the mainstream psychology. And they kind of embraced it without criticism, kind of unaware of what was left out. Mm-hmm. And, and boy, that's a, that's a, a problem, uh, uh, you know, on the other side. So it's really, it's just, frankly, it's hard. This is hard work to think deeply about complicated things like the science of human beings. And we, we got to cut people slack who maybe don't agree with us because there are reasons why, and it's hard work and all that. But, you know, I, I think what, God is the, is the, you know, every, every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so redemption is the the most important gift for us as fallen creatures. But we, we also have to recognize that creation and the structures of creation and, and, and the way that God has made us, all of this is also God's gift to us. And, and science is a gift that God has given us. And when people do it in poor ways because of a poor worldview, that doesn't mean that we throw out the, the validity in that. We, we have to throw out the secularism, throw out what's uh, the distortions, and then seek to bring the, 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 the validity of understanding the created order within a, a, a God-centered framework. And, you know, frankly, one of the uh, burdens in, in my role as, a, as a, someone in Christian psychology is we need to do our own research mm-hmm. based on Christian worldview assumptions and, and investigating the, the fruit of redemption. And there are some people doing that sort of thing, just beginning to do that, but makes it exciting. And so historically, um, uh, psychology took over. Secular psychology took secular over. Secular psychology. You write in your book, God and Soul Care, a section on the center of modern therapy. Elaborate on that. Yeah. So I, I use the word center as a religious term. Okay. Um, I, when, I, when, I, when I think of our, our, God created us to be centered on him to revolve around him. I like the metaphor of planets revolving around the sun. And, Mm -hmm. and so um, we are to be God centered, theocentric beings. That's the, that's the way we flourish. But because of our fallenness, of course, we abandon God as our center and we ended up finding other centers, other, I'll call them idols, uh, at ways of satisfying it, trying to satisfy us with uh, aspects of God's creation usually or uh, deities of various kinds, whatever. So um, in a secular age, of course, there's an abandonment of religion of any kind. So uh, what is then the center in our culture? And it would be, I think it's fair to say, and it's not original with me, but it's the self, it's the individual to live for him or herself, his or her values being ultimate rather than the values that God has given us. And um, so uh, modern psychotherapy then seeks to help people become uh, as if to live as effectively as they can with being their own center. And so the goal in, you know, in, in, in our, in our culture is you can do whatever you want, as long as it doesn't get in the way of other people doing mm-hmm. whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how our culture is, is living in secular psychotherapy seeks to help people be more successful at that wow. living ultimately for oneself. Mm. So at the end of the day, it has an agenda too. It does. It has, you know, and from a Christian standpoint, we say it's a religious agenda. You might, we ought not to think of religion as it has to have supernatural 
facets. It's no, definitionally, anything religion, it has it has a worldview, it has a thought process, it has emotions that are driven to that particular end. Everything's religious at the end of the In day that, when you look at the definition. I think so I think so. Yeah. So that's that's a healthier way of thinking about rather than, oh, those religious people, they do their thing, but we don't have ultimate values. Mm. Oh no. Everybody is is living for something in an ultimate sense. So you're saying that a, a a secular licensed psychologist or counselor who's told not to bring certain values into the into the counseling endeavor are actually bringing values? Yes. So they might not talk about God, but their religious system is uh, is demonstrated in this in how they organize the person to find themselves and to develop their own values mm-hmm. and to become autonomous in some way, maybe from obligations that they might have to, to spouse or family. And, you know, there, it's not a, a coincidence that divorce has become much more common in an age when modern psychotherapy and individualism has flourished. It's, it's kind of an inevitable byproduct. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so- Go ahead. At a, at a personal level, I mean, I, I remember my my father. I, I wasn't raised in a Christian family. My dad telling me that his therapist enabled him to break away from his wife, my mother, mm. and and you know that was that was a profound uh, thing for him to wow. say to me as a young adult. And that uh, self as center was a big piece of that. It, it really was, I, I, you know, and, you know, uh, to be honest, you know, I, I lived a life where I, I was my own center and mm. uh, I, uh, in my teenage years, um, I lived for drugs and sex and rock and roll. I mean, I really was, uh, you know, one of the last of the hippies and, you know, you were the, actually into that stuff, I, all of that stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, but, but, but also at some cost. So, um, you know, I, uh, I hurt people looking back, I hurt people. Mm. Uh, because of my self-centeredness, I would two-time women. Um, I, I got a girl pregnant, and uh, we gave up the child for adoption. I wanted him aborted. Um, mm. So, yeah, my, my for me, this is not an abstract, you know, debate about worldviews. My life was I was destroying myself with my self-centered with your own set of beliefs. And just, just really quick on it, cause we were kind of throwing religion around a little bit. And I just want to, so there's obviously, you know, quite a few renderances of religion because it's a, obviously a huge term. Um, the first renderance we're, we're aware of, it has more of a religion, you know, more of a supernatural Christian religion type perspective. Um, but then the second renderance, a specific fundamental set of beliefs and practices generally agreed upon by a number of persons or sex. So Natural. Humanism. Exactly. Yeah, humanism. Exactly. They fit the bill. Communism so, is another one. So right. It doesn't have any supernatural. Right. Not, so what does that demonstrate? That there's no such thing as neutrality, whether it's in a counseling room or wherever, there's no neutrality, mm-hmm. but that's what they're offering. That's what modern psychology or humanism really offers at the end of the day. And, you know, to play that a little bit further, uh, you know, the, the, the genius, if I can use that word in this context of modern psychotherapy is to lead people to believe they're not biased and mm-hmm. yet they're in control of what you can say and can't say in public mm-hmm. in some contexts, uh, on, on public TV, public radio, what you can advance, what you can, the beliefs that you can advance. And even in rules about sharing one's faith, you're not allowed to share religious faith, but then you can practice as a secular therapist without any, anybody calling anything into question. It's an amazing, uh, mm-hmm. uh, amazing accomplishment if I can put it that way. But at the same time, 
theists like Christians and, and other theists like Jews and Muslims need to say, no, no, this is not right. This is, this is actually not American to have one system, one worldview system mandated for everybody. Uh, so, I mean, that was even in the first century with the Romans, right? Yeah. You guys do what you want to do. As long as you pay homage to Caesar, you do what you want to do until it becomes a problem. And it goes against that, that religious system of the day. Mm. Yeah. That's good. Anyway. And so Christian soul care has a different center. Mm-hmm. Talk yeah. about that. So, so we're, we're made in the image of God. God, God's the greatest being imaginable. Uh, he created us for himself. And so a healthy human being f- is, is one who flourishes centered upon God, who, who, who dedicates his or her life to God, who lives in dependence and conscious dependence upon God for everything, both created good. And then because we're sinners, we know we have, we need additional good in the sense of redemption and reconciliation mm-hmm. through Christ, uh, living in gratitude. Uh, th- these are ways in which we live a, a God centered life. Mm. So, and the implications there, when we begin to do that, what, why is that significant psychologically? Well, there's a, so there's a whole host of benefits that, that come from being centered on God. We're made for, uh, to, to be happy in perfection. And, you know, what we try and do as fallen creatures is we try and pretend we're perfect. And we, you know, somebody's, you know, our, our spouse criticizes us and we get angry because we don't want the message that we're not perfect, but to have a, a, a God who is perfect, to be related to him and to know he loves us, uh, releases us from that need for, per, to, for us to be perfect. Mm. So that would be one. There's something about worship that, that feels deeply right. You know, those, you know, Christians know that when we're worshiping in the spirit, there's something that's just, it's better than anything else on mm-hmm. earth. It's, it's like, this is, this is what I was made for. Um, when I, when I have a God, then I don't have to be God. I don't, I don't have to know everything. I don't have to have everything together. Um, so yeah, these, these would be a few of the ways in which, uh, being centered on a, on a transcendent being who's perfect, uh, is, is freeing and releasing for our soul of some of the expectations that as fallen beings, we, we, uh, try and maintain and they cause us trouble. Mm-hmm. How does that work with what is often espoused in psychology with this whole concept of autonomy? Mm. Is there such a thing or or what's your perspective on that? Yeah, that's a, that's well, uh, that's a good question to put that way because autonomy is kind of an illusion. We, we, we grow up dependent on our parents and that, of course that God created that to be a picture of our need for uh, dependence on him. But in the modern mindset, you know, that, that developed in the 1600s and then, you know, in, in, in the current uh, uh, world, it, it dominates uh, our thinking. Uh, autonomy is a goal of leaving the past, leaving my family values, forging my own opinion, creating myself, becoming whoever I choose to be and want to be. But there, the, the problem with that is it, it's, there's a kind of, of unreality to that. Mm. We, we, we have bodies, we have 
uh, norms that, that are created in us. Mm-hmm. And we can only push that so far without causing havoc uh, in our in our lives. And, and we're, you know, we're seeing a fair amount of that as, you know, anxiety, depression is increasing, suicide is increasing. I think it's going to take time for the the goodness of, of, of the heritage of Christianity to wear itself out. There's still some, mm. some uh, benefits of, of the Christian tradition in, in a Western uh, assumptions, but they're, they're weakening for sure. And mm. uh, the 21st century, unless God, you know, brings about some major revival, I think it's not going to be pretty. Mm. Just so what would be, sorry, I was just going to say to that, Eric. So what would you say? What would you say to, thank you. Uh, what would you say to just that urgency of, okay, it's not getting better. Uh, the Christian heritage, the benefits of it, um, where obviously we live in a state where it's pretty beneficial and cool to be a Christian, right? At the state level, like here. But if we go in different parts of the world, uh, those benefits aren't going to be very well received. Yeah. So I just didn't know what would be the urgency based on what you're saying. What would be the urgency for the gospel as it relates to God and soul care in our interactions with people? Does that make sense? Just trying to bring it down to the street level. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the gospel has huge implications then for people's well-being. Um, I remember, I mean, you know, my own personal story. Uh, because of things that I had done and, and the feedback I was getting from people that I had hurt, uh, mostly women that I had known and taken advantage of and, and, uh, and, and coming to recognize at some level that I didn't want to admit, but I couldn't deny I, I was hurting them. And over time, I began to carry guilt and shame that I, I, again, I had no categories for that, but I was being weighed down by that. That's one of the reasons I like drugs because it would make that, you know, that pain go away. Mm-hmm. So when I gave my life to the Lord, you know, I, I I I felt the next day, I remember feeling like I was walking, you know, a foot off the ground because the, literally the burden had been taken off the the burden of shame and guilt. And our, you know, a a secular culture just doesn't have any way to really deal with that. I've, I've seen what secular therapists say about how to treat that. And basically it's self-talk that there's, there's nothing true about shame and guilt. It's a, it's a function of socialization, Mm -hmm. but way deep down, we know if we've hurt someone, we can't take that back. There's something forever about, about when we, as Christians, we, we say when we sin against someone mm-hmm. and, and everybody knows that, but we, we're, we live in a kind of denial and that kind of denial can only last so long until it, it's going it, to, you know, it's just, it's going to, it's going to be overwhelming. Yeah. I just, it's interesting in hearing you say that because I know, you know, at, at the academic level, uh, you rub shoulders with some people uh, where I'm sure you have some pretty interesting conversations where they're not always Christian, right? Um, having scientific conversations, but um, to to submit that these things are social constructs, that guilt and shame are social constructs. What does that say to the reality of our conscience? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have to be around anybody to feel guilt and shame. How is that a social construct? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I, I, I'm just sitting here thinking, listening to you talking, thinking the the amount of engagement you've had with people. What are those? You know, those conversations sound like. You know what I mean? When you're talking to soul care and you're talking to people who aren't necessarily professing Christians, having those gospel opportunities to like confront them on just some of those, those things like the conscience and, you know, just that, does it, does that make sense? You can't say that. You can't say that. You can't say that. 
<laughs> no, I, I think so. There's there's an inner contradiction in in, in yeah. music uh, therapy because they say you trust yourself unless you're going to talk about shame and guilt. Mm-hmm. Then oh no, that's not real. That's socialization. Well, wait wow. a minute, isn't that schizophrenic yeah. by uh, definition? Well, no, not actually not. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, correct. But, but split mind. I mean, the literal yeah. definition is that there's something dissociated. What I would say there's right. a kind of dissociation mm-hmm. that occurs in the secular mind that wow. that's hard for them. You know. To identify, but and they can't reconcile it. They they can't at the end of the day. So they just you, we just repress it and move on. Mm. Make fun of, you know, theist and, and other other people that don't. So just apply more self talk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Okay, Jeremy, you had a you had some more questions. So, um, you talk a lot about sanctification in in this book, uh, God and Soul Care, and you use a phrase that. Uh, often that I found very interesting and um, insightful, actually. You use the phrase soul slash brain. Mm. Uh, talk to us about Yeah. That. Well, I think, uh, again, one of the strengths of the Christian tradition is we believe that we are a, 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 um, a combination, a mysterious combination of a soul, an immaterial something mm-hmm. um, uh, that, that has been united in this life to a body and to a brain. And so um, it's, an, it's, a, it's an intimate union that God has created. And we understand more about that union because of things like brain scan technology yes. and our ability to kind of map uh, brain functioning much better than ever before in the history of the human race. So it's an extremely close union um, but there are Christians that, that recognize that over mm-hmm. the centuries and honored mm-hmm. it and their understanding as well. So it's very, what we are discovering about the brain and, and, and how it's, uh, the soul is in some way dependent upon the uh, proper brain functioning isn't a, really a surprise to, ought not to be, to the Christian community. But I like to use the phrase soul brain to uh, underscore that, that unity. Most of the time as Christians, I think we tend to focus only on our souls and we forget the fact that there is a biological side to our being and it's this mm-hmm. way God created it. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I think can be helpful as we think about sanctification is to work with us the way that we are. And, uh, you know, uh, Paul alludes to this, uh, though he knew nothing of what we would call neuropsychology. The Spirit inspired him to speak about our need to uh, surrender the members of our body to righteousness, for example. And our brain and yes. nervous system is a part of, of that surrendering. And so I think it, it's quite helpful to, to do the best we can with the knowledge that we're gaining as a result of this to factor in how does the ways that our brain develops over the course of our childhood and into adulthood, how does that organize the way that as adults then we experience emotions, how we think and interpret things? And then, you know, how does the gospel as we come to know Jesus and then uh, believe the truths of scripture and then internalize them more and more deeply into our hearts, how does that involve a reorganizing, a healthy, redemptive reorganizing of our brain? Mm-hmm. And I, I think I think that can be really helpful. I mean, we, we all know what it's like when, to speak a little bit as a neuropsychologist, when our limbic system overwhelms our cerebral cortex mm-hmm. 
and we're no longer thinking the way that we want to think as a Christian, but maybe we're flushed with anger or overwhelmed with anxiety and we have a panic attack. Well, you know, we can think about that on both levels. There's there's our, our psychological experience. There's our relationship with God. That's an important part of that. Mm-hmm. And there's something that's going on at the, at the neurological level. Well, I find it quite helpful when I get that, when I feel that starting to come to recognize, wait a minute, my brain is being triggered mm-hmm. and I need to, I need to calm myself down, slow down. And, and I find, you know, nothing helps me do that more than remembering Jesus is with me. Thank you, Jesus. Help me, help me right now to calm down. And then I get back into my right mind, you yes. know, which was the surreal court. Sounds a little bit like a process for Romans 12, one through two, huh? Renewing your mind. Yes. Yeah, it is. And so yeah, those uh, pathways firing, it's like removing as a new creation, those old pathways, you know, those neurotransmitters. But I heard, uh, I was watching something on the brain in here recently where they were talking, uh, the, the, the neurons that fire together, like make pathways together. So those together. Yeah. They they wire together. So, which makes sense. So like when we're talking about addiction or whatever, it's like anytime a cokehead sees a $20 bill, all of a sudden his, he has that taste in the back of his throat and his palms get sweaty and like, cause the body and just the whole, the whole person is experiencing, wants to relive that episode Mm -hmm. that brought them that pleasure. Yes. So, I mean, one way to think about it, about the old self and the new self, I don't, I think I'm honoring Paul when I, when I put it this way, one way of thinking about the old self, it it is, it's all the neurological structures that were organized as I lived autonomously from God, as I live in my sin. And it's a way of thinking, feeling, relating to people, that got organized before I was a Christian and to some degree continues to get organized to the degree I live in the flesh, which is interesting that you use the flesh, which is a a term that originally relates to the body, but Mm -hmm. Paul applied it to the sinful side of us. Well, uh, similarly then when we become Christians and we receive the word of God and we depend on the Holy spirit, we're learning new ways of living. What we're doing is we're developing new neural networks and uh, that, that I want to claim that for the new self. That's what the new self is now at the brain level, at the, at the neurological level. So, you know, we, we don't have to be uh, uh, dismayed by science. Um, even when it's done by non-Christians, what we need to do is interpret in a way that, that makes sense within a Christian worldview yeah, and see, to in me light that, of scripture. Yeah. And to me that, uh, that makes a lot of sense though, when you begin to, to see the reality of that, because they didn't, there wasn't a huge thought process of a scientific method back in, you know, biblical times, but the way that they portrayed spirituality and, and, and talking about the soul and, and, and our pleasures and affections. And so when we say, and we read Ezekiel 36 or Jeremiah 31, 32, and talking about, you know, Jesus or not Jesus, but God, the father saying, I'll put a new spirit within you, you know, that type of stuff where all of a sudden you'll have new affections. Well, that has an implication on the brain, right? Well, you just talked about the limbic system and all these other areas and the pathways of our brain. Well, we're experiencing emotion. So are we have new affections? And so now all of a sudden the experience that we had with that drug, that pleasure now all of a sudden is redeemed and new. And now I'm going to be able to experience God in a way to where my affections are changing. So scripture pretty much proclaims and declares that they just don't give the scientific method behind that's it. That's right. God does, wrote does that make sense? Does, I, I, I can't help quite, but say it. I'm that's sorry. Quite well, well said. <laughs> because, you know, God wrote his word so that everybody could read it. Not just scientists. Thank God, you know, <laughs> yeah. God's omniscient. He could have written a book. None of us could have understood that could have explained all kinds of crazy things, mm-hmm. you know, about his creation. So he gave us the book he wanted us to have. 
And then he led us through common grace. He let us, you know, work out the scientific method and, and develop these skills as we collaborate in, in, uh, together uh, on that project. And at, at the right time, he, uh, we, through his common grace, we discovered aspects of his creation. And this glorifies him. You know, he's, he, he's omniscient. And he gets to decide what he reveals to us in the Bible and then what he wants us to discover through other means. Mm -hmm. So we can get that order right by making the Bible the the most important book ever written, inspired by God, uh, and then also take captive all the rest of knowledge that's valid, that simply is a reflection of his omniscient understanding. Mm, And then do the best we can to bring it all together. So this is an exciting time to uh, understand uh, the the, the body. I think, again, to uh, kind of repeat this in a little bit different way, I think a lot of Christians act as if we're disembodied spirits Mm -hmm. and that that we're nothing but spirits, but that's actually not reality. We're not ghosts. We're, we got bodies and, and everything that happens to us spiritually has a neurological correlate. Mm -hmm. Uh, Something is going on in our brains, unless God decides for whatever reason to, to do something unique. But, um, most of the time he works according to his creation that he designed, you know, To, to that point though, it's interesting when you think about it, that the soul is so intertwined with the flesh, it, it, it's almost in a way like a oneness, right? Because there is a, you know, immaterial is intertwined with the material. Yeah. Anyway, it's just, it's fascinating when you think about it. So, and a lot of Christians don't understand that in the new creation, we will have new physical bodies right? and, um, and they will be perfected. Yes. But you talk a lot also about some of the things that prevent us from being able to uh, operate our lives with God at the center uh, a moment by moment worship kind of mentality. You you definitely highlight very well the um, the reality of sin and the reality of depravity mm. and its impact on the heart. But you also mention another category that I'm sure a lot of our listeners would have never heard this phrase, um, but we'd love for you to explain it because it's going into the physiological, I believe, biopsychosocial damage, mm. and and how that impacts spiritual life. Yeah. So the, the most important part parts of us are the, our, our relatedness to God. We were made for God. Um, and, and, and we can kind of just stay there because that's the most important thing. But, but, but then the, the, the limitation of that is we're assuming a proper brain functioning and proper psychological functioning. And, you know, that's what we do for the most part. When we think about the higher aspects of our lives, and especially as, as Christians, we're assuming that our brain is working really well. If, if we, you know, if we had uh, hydroencephalitis, I, I believe that's what it's called. Um, but it's where you have too much cerebrospinal mm-hmm. fluid in utero yes. and it fills up the cranium. And, and so brain cells are, uh, can't uh, reproduce and, uh, Folks who have the worst cases of that, they pretty much just have a brain stem when they're born. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they're made in the image of God and God loves them and we ought to love and care for them as well. But they're never going to be able to pray as long as they're in that body. Mm. They're, they're never going to realize these higher capacities that God made us for. Why? Because our brain, a healthy brain is, a, is an assumption of, of life. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, and, and. And so when, when we're doing, when we're functioning well, things are, are uh, not damaged is kind of what, what I, what I mean with that phrase. Um, 
there, there is a, a, a phrase that I borrow from Paul uh, that I think gives us a biblical category to think about biopsychosocial damage, and it's the term weakness, the Greek term yes. asthenia. He's got yeah. some uh, wonderful teaching on that in the book of Second Corinthians because some of the, apparently the, the pseudo-apostles that were trying to take over the church were criticizing Paul, and they said, you know, he's very weak in, his, in the way, you know, when he speaks, when he comes here and speaks, he writes mighty letters, but then when he gets here, he's pretty pretty weak. And, and he capitalized on that in defending his apostleship and turned it upside down and said, you know, yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm not so great. And let me tell you, he's got a list of all the problems that he's had in his mm-hmm. life kind of to support that uh, accusation of weakness. And he said, you know, towards the end, we're all familiar with that. When I'm weak though, I'm strong because God displays his strength in, mm-hmm. in jars of clay. And it's, it's earlier in the letter. So this idea of weakness, when you see the way Paul uses it, is it's a kind of condition that's less than God's design for us. That would be one way to put mm-hmm. it. And um, so I, I want to suggest that when we talk about biological damage or psychosocial damage, it's a result, it could be of biology, but could also be a result of growing up in a dysfunctional family mm-hmm. or having trauma, uh, living in, in, uh, in a place where there's a massive famine. All of these things can lead to biopsychosocial damage. And I think that there's a, you know, God gave us a biblical category to be able to capture Mm. that. So when we, when, in order to develop a holistic approach to what can go wrong with us, sin has to be at the center of that from a Christian standpoint, because it's the worst thing that can go wrong with us. It it can keep us out of heaven forever and, and Mm. uh, alienated from God forever. And so that's the the worst pathology, psychopathology, uh, soul disorder that we can have. But the, the fact is that, Biopsychosocial damage also gets in the way of God's design plan for proper human functioning, brain damage, growing up in dysfunctional family where my father's anger chronically activates my anxiety. So I develop a very strong anxiety mechanism that when I'm in adulthood gets activated and I don't even know why just because my boss walks in the room and I, and I, and I get anxious. Well, that's a kind of damage. My, my brain soul is not working according to the way God designed it. If I had grown up in an unfallen world, like the garden of Eden, I wouldn't have uh, had developed that damage. So as Christians, we need to, yeah, I think it's it would be helpful. To, it's helpful for us to develop a holistic or comprehensive model that does honor and justice to the to the emphasis of Scripture on sin is the worst problem, but then also recognizes a secondary order of problems. Now, the, the the difficulty is the folks that have done the best research on biopsychosocial damage are secularists. In fact. They, you know, they, they ignore sin. They, they downplay mm-hmm. it. They don't see it. They, they don't have the eyes to be able to recognize it. Well, what's the that. worldview that they would categorically place that in? In other words, they, they arrived at that conclusion. So what do they, what do they turn to? Like, what, what's the remedy? What, how, how do they, how do they deal with it? How, how do they work through it? Is it still just make yourself feel better? Well, or self-talk. ultimately it would be, I mean, their, their solution for is their focus is on biopsychosocial damage. So then the, the, the remedies are going to be biological, which is going to be medicine or self-talk or therapy talk or education. You need to know more. Um, so, so these are the means by which 
we get better if every, if there, if the only problem we have is biopsychosocial damage, but that that's why we needed biblical revelation to say, that's not your only problem. Mm-hmm. That's your, 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 maybe an obvious problem when you meet somebody who's severely mentally impaired or has schizophrenia, you say, oh, that real severe kind of problem. But our worst problem is our alienation from God. And that had to be revealed to us. Mm-hmm. So uh, then a holistic model is going to try and see things uh, in its proper proportion. One of the ways that biopsychosocial damage affects, I think, our spiritual relationship is if we grow up with images of God, our parents usually, who were severely distorted in that image-bearing capacity because of their own sin, because of their own damage, then we can uh, our relational equipment our re- and our way of relating to people and to God can be distorted by that as well. And I, in my experience with counseling and, uh, and even in my own story, I'm aware that people who grew up with heavily distorted pictures, uh, images of God often have difficulty believing the truths that they, they know in their head. Oh yeah, I believe the Bible. I believe the truth of the Bible, but they have a hard time believing it deeply because there's some, there's an obstacle that's in the way, a barrier. And I want to suggest that that barrier was their relational equipment got distorted early in life. So how do we repair that? Well, that's, that's another reason why the Bible is essential. We need something outside my story to, to reveal to me who God really is. Mm-hmm. And as I, re- as I am in relationship with God and I meditate on scripture and receive that into the deeper parts of my heart, I start to get healing for that. Mm-hmm. And my heavenly father then becomes the most important parent figure in my story. So, and, and, and would you say part of that healing is obviously spiritual, but also there's a biological component to the, the yeah. healing of the brain? Yeah, I, 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 I hope I didn't bypass anything. Fundamentally, that healing is a result of Christ's work in his life, death, and resurrection. Mm-hmm. And then the, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit within me that enables me to develop a, a healing relationship with right. God. Mm-hmm. The wonderful thing is, is that works at the spiritual level, but it's also working at the psychological level. It's healing my emotions. It's healing my thinking. It's healing my relational structures, which will impact my relationship with my wife and my kids. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it is, you know, it, uh, it's grounded in brain change and reorganizing of the, the way that my brain operates and my neurons uh, get f- fired together and get wired together now within a, a new creation orientation rather than my, the fallen orientation that I was born into. So can I ask a question as you're talking um, and just for the listeners earlier, when you were talking about Paul's suffering and God's grace and that weakness, second Corinthians chapter 11 and 12, if you wanted to refer back to that. Um, but just as you were talking in the relational dynamic, I had a question of thinking about women that I've been counseling and they always use these terms soul ties. Have you heard of that before and how um, it, previous relationships that, you know, we've been in men or women and how we then get married, that we can't be in a fruitful marriage because of soul ties of previous relationships we've been in. And I love your transparency earlier of um, just, you know, kind of expressing, you know, your history and those types of things. Have you heard that terminology or what would you, what, what's the truth that we could speak into that? Yeah, I, I haven't heard that, but I, I, I believe it's true. Okay. Um, you know, uh, again, this is, you know, this is why I think the science of psychology needs to be claimed for Christ. And then we, we revision it in light of biblical categories. But when, when a person is using what I would call like a 
kind of a common sense or everyday a term of soul ties. Who knows who made that up? But right. what I think they're getting at is that we store relational emotional memories in our in our brains, and they're cumulative. So when we are uh, when we have relationship, particularly with you know our, our primary caregivers, usually our parents, we're going to develop. You know, we'll, we'll call it soul ties, which I would explain as their emotional relational memories. They're structures of our soul brain that, in effect, are imprinted upon us and mark us for the rest of our lives. That doesn't mean there's not healing and change that can occur as long as we're alive and the Holy Spirit is working in us and our brain can be modified. Thank God. But I think it's helpful to acknowledge the reality of our finite, fallen, creaturely condition. We're not God. We're not angels. We got a body. We have a story. We have bounds and limits. We, we have bounds and limits. And that's all that I think this, creatures. Is, this mm-hmm. is about. And uh, and recognizing that just helps us to be wiser and, and better equipped, I think, to use the resources that God has given us in scripture. That, thank you for, for doing that, because I, I think that there are terminologies that maybe women, you know, that I work with and just around and at least in our area that um, they can then relate some of these terms that you're using to kind of what they're hearing and allowing them to say, OK, now appropriately, how can I live differently knowing that truth? And so here our podcast is Speak the Truth. And so what would be a truth that you would want to encourage biblical counselors today of truth that you would want them to start doing in the counseling room? You know, just knowing our, our culture and the things that are happening out there, is there anything, I mean, you have a, a thick book over there, so I'm mm-hmm. sure you have several you could choose, but maybe just one tip you could kind of give our listeners today. The, the most important thing in my understanding of the therapy process that I can give somebody is helping them to develop in their communion with God. Mm-hmm. What we are made for and deeply need is to, to, to live in the love of God. He is the best father, the best person we can ever know. The, you know, a, a three-person God that we get to spend time thinking about fa- our father and our brother, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So learning how to meditate and, and, and pray with God and engage in a meaningful, experientially meaningful conversation where I, sh- I pour out my heart to him. My, my favorite therapy verse is uh, Lamentations 2.19, pour out your hearts like water before the Lord. So I, mm. I pour out my heart to him and through scripture, I let him speak to me, his, his agenda, his character, his love, who he sees me to be in Christ. And I, there, this is the center, if I can put it that, the central set of, uh, of uh, techniques can, uh, uh, for, for, I think, God-centered therapy, what, what God is about is to help us connect with him in the deepest way. Now, there are lots of other things that we can talk about yeah. and do, but but if you ask for one thing, that's oh, the thing I want to bring I, I think that was mm-hmm. a good cue for a follow-up podcast, Michael. We can have Eric on again. That would be great. You know, you mentioned in 2 Corinthians, and I think you actually threw out that biblical term, asteneo, the Greek term, mm-hmm. um, and I have it pulled up here on Logos. I don't know if you wanted to speak to that because I think that kind of goes into that particular term. Um, the, um, what was the term? The biopsychosocial. Bio, biopsychosocial. You remembered that. That's good. <laughs> um, that 
and this is actually kind of what Tripp was alluding to in his message is that just the human condition, because he said this is kind of a wonky term, mm. like the way it's used, because even the, I mean, it says it's to be sick, be weak or be in need of. So it's like a constant reality for the human condition. Mm. Uh, and so what you're talking about from Second Lamentations and just the reality and um, when our people come to us broken it's realizing that that brokenness and that weakness is that like rest in that because God's going to perfect you through that. That's where he's strong. It's not, it's not, it doesn't have to be scary. To be <laughs> right. And part of healing and Christian maturation is to recognize that by accepting that I actually am, am strength and I, I am enabled to grow because I'm going to reach out to him. and He's going to fill that up. Mm. Good, good, good. Well, Jeremy, were there any other terms or anything? No, I, no? I think that was a very helpful explanation of many things that are wonderful things that are found in your book. Thanks well, so much. I bet the listeners out there are, they, this is just a small little taste and they're so, yeah, a taste. <laughs> God and Soul Care is the book uh, that we've been kind of um talking through and and that's a great resource for you to go and get. We'll make sure to put uh, the book and the information in the show notes for you to check that out. Yeah. And I would just in closing and, and, you know, with Eric's material, um, you know, oftentimes when we highlight books and different things, it's always for what we're doing with other people, but we need to chew on these things. We need to wrestle through these things for the sake of our souls. And so thank you very much for laboring 16 years uh, I believe you said and God in soul care so we appreciate that and uh, I'll have your other books in the show notes as well okay terrific great to be with you yeah thank you so much we'll see you guys later